What's going on, Wellspring Church? We're so grateful that you're able to join us um, during this online experience. If you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, you know that we've been working through uh, the book of Luke, chapter 10 specifically. And actually, this week is our third section of the same story that we've been working on. Two weeks ago, Jason opened it up, and he was preaching about the mission of the 72. And he sent out 72 men in pairs of twos, and they went into every city that Jesus was about to go into. They were going to prepare the way to say the king is coming, the kingdom of heaven is near. So that was two weeks ago. Jason preached about that. Last week, I had the privilege of preaching to you guys about when they came back, and we saw the results of what had happened. And the results were that they came back, and they were so excited. They were full of joy. And they were like, Jesus, Jesus, we didn't know it, but you had the power over demons. It was so exciting to see what we experienced it. And they were rejoicing in what they had experienced. And Jesus looked at them and he said, do not rejoice that you triumph over demons. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So that's where we pick up today. Jesus just dropped this bomb on them. He changed their perspective. He said, stop living for temporary battles. Live for the joy that is eternal. And we pick up today. In Luke 10, chapter, one, chapter 10, verses 21 through 24. And what we're actually going to do today is this text is broken into two different parts. The first two verses, 21 and 22, is the revelation of God. And then what he does is he goes into verse 23 and 24, and he shows us the responsibility that comes with that revelation. So we're breaking it into two parts today. Now, the revelation, I want to go over that word real quick with you. You see, revelation, it comes from the Greek word apocalypsis, which means the uncovering. It means or making something known. It's the same word as the word reveal. The word revelation is used in the New Testament 18 times, and every single time that it's used, it's describing a moment where God is communicating to man. Every time that God speaks to man, something is being uncovered, something is being revealed, something is being made known. So what does God communicate to man throughout the New Testament? The first thing that he communicates is who he is. God communicates to us who he is, and the second thing he communicates is what his plan is for us. The section that we're going to be looking at, secondly, is titled Responsibility, because if God reveals something to us, if God reveals to you who he is, that revelation of who he is also comes with the responsibility for you to carry that out. So that's why our main idea this morning is that revelation comes with responsibility. Opening up to Luke 10, verse 21, Jesus is now in front of everybody, and he's about to pray. And he says, in the same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So what do we see here? We see a revelation of what? Of who Jesus is. The first thing that he wants to tell us is who he is. Up until this point, no one knew that Jesus was the Son of God. It was just chapter 9, one chapter ago in Luke, that Jesus was walking with the disciples, and he was walking with all of them, and he was asking them, who do people say that I am? I've been performing miracles. I've been healing people. Everyone knows kind of who I am, but who do they say I actually am? And they responded, well, people say that you're a prophet. People say you're like Elijah or, or um, Elijah or Isaiah. And he's walking with them, and he says, okay, that's what other people say that I am, but who do you say that I am? 
And in this moment, Peter says, you're Christ the Son. You're the Messiah. And this was the first time that anyone, it was revealed to them who Jesus was. And Jesus looked at Peter and he said, be quiet with that. Don't tell anybody. There's still work to be done. So over the course of the next chapter leading up to this point, no one knows that Jesus is the Son of God. But I imagine things might have been getting a little bit suspicious for the 72. Because the 72, they go out on mission and they come across demons and they say, in the name of Jesus, flee. And they flee. They come across a blind man. They say, in the name of Jesus, be healed. And they're healed. The lame man, the deaf man. When they were speaking in the name of Jesus, they realized that this wasn't just any regular man. And they come back and they're celebrating. And Jesus is saying, don't celebrate in these things. Celebrate that your name is written in heaven. And now in front of them, he reveals who he is. And what does he do? He says, my father, my father, my father. Five times he says, my father. And who is he referring to as his father? Lord of heaven and earth. Now, he used that phrase specifically. He used Lord of heaven and earth because Lord of heaven and earth is the name that in the Jewish culture they would call Yahweh. God the Father was Lord in heaven and earth. And in the cultural um, place that they were in these days, there were many gods from many different countries and many different places. He wanted them to know that the God that you know, the God that has revealed himself to you, is now revealing himself to you through me. He said, Lord of heaven and earth. So there is no confusion who he is talking about. He's saying, that is my Father. And then what he does is he explains why he's here. In the same text, he explains why he is here. He said, all things have been handed over to me. They're looking at him saying, you're the son of God. Why are you here? What are you doing here? He said, all authority has been handed over to me. And I'm here, I'm crying, I'm carrying out my father's plan of redemption for people. I'm here to carry out my father's plan of salvation for his people. On the last section of this text, we see no one knows who the son is except the father. Or who the father is except the son or anyone who the son chooses to reveal him to. He's saying the plan that I'm bringing to you is God's plan was to bring me down here so that I could show you who God is through who I am. I am God. In John 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the father except through me. Why is that? Well, Jesus, being God, comes down to earth. And says, I'm the only person who knows how to get there. I'm the only one who actually knows God. No one knows the Father except the Son and the Son except the Father. I'm the only way to heaven. I am the only way to reconnect the Father with his people who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I am the only one that can do this. The largest reason that Jesus is the only way to eternal salvation is because he's the only one that can introduce you to his Father. He's the only one who knows God. The modern-day universal understanding that all roads lead to heaven is an understanding that will lead thousands and millions of people astray because we want to believe that this isn't the only way. But why would Jesus say this? He's the only one who knows him. He says, I'm the only way to get there, and I'll hang on a cross so that I can bring you there. I love you. I want you with us for eternity. Let me take you to heaven with me. Jesus also needs them to know that it's not in any other God that they can get there, but it's also not in themselves that they can get there. Those who are dead in their trespasses and sin are blinded by Satan and are unable to understand spiritual truth. They're unable to please God, and they cannot save themselves. Nothing in them can save themselves. 
That's why he says, God, I rejoice that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. He says little children here, and I like the other translation, which would say infant. Because when I think of little children, I think of some four-year-old kicking me in the shins, and I, I just really don't like to think about that. So he uses the word infant here. And I thought it was so interesting that Jesus would use the word infant in order to describe somebody who, is, who he is revealing himself to. And I thought about what an infant has or does that an adult couldn't do, a wise man or someone of understanding that he wouldn't be able to reveal it to them. And when I was thinking about an infant, I thought about this baby who couldn't feed themselves. They couldn't move themselves. They couldn't think for themselves. They couldn't act for themselves. They can't do anything for themselves. Everywhere that they went, they were brought there. Everything that they knew was taught to them. Everything that they had was given to them. The child depends solely on their father or mother or guardian for everything that they have, everything that they need, everything in life can't be earned. They can't earn anything from themselves, for themselves. There's nothing that an infant can do for themselves. They solely rely on the father. And this is why Jesus is speaking at this problem. And he's saying, listen, it's the infant who receives something from God so that man may have nothing to boast in because there is no earthly intellect that can lead you to a place of understanding a supernatural, righteous, and holy God. There is nothing on this planet that can lead you there. It is the spirit of God that does it. Jesus says, actually Paul says in Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast so that no one can boast. Now, it says, for by grace you have to say, what is the definition of grace? It's unmerited favor. Unmerited favor means that there is nothing that you can do to earn the favor in which you have received. That's why it says it's a gift of God. There is no amount of good deeds that you could do. There is no amount of good things that you can do. There is nothing on this planet that you could ever do to receive a gift that God can only give. God had hidden spiritual truth so that it is not discoverable by the most ele elevated of human intellect and wisdom. So that it could only be revealed through his scripture and through his Holy Spirit to our minds. By grace, through faith, not by hard work, through knowledge. Salvation is not restricted to the spiritual elite. It's restricted to whom it is revealed. But if you remember our main idea, you see this word revealed here. Revealed was the root word of revelation. And we said every revelation comes with a responsibility. So we're going to that second section now, verses 23 and 24. Now Jesus, this was his prayer to God that he just had. This is just them witnessing Jesus praying. And he turns to the disciples and said privately. Now he turns to the 12 of them and says privately. He says, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many kings and prophets desired to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. He's saying, don't forsake the blessing that you have received, that you even know the knowledge that you have. Didn't you just hear me? God has given that to you. There's nothing you could have ever done to earn it. There's nothing that you can boast in. This is a gift of God to your heart. This is a gift of, heart of God to your mind. Don't take it for granted. Kings and prophets waited years to have what you have, to see what you see, to hear what you hear. 
to whom much is given, much is required. Jesus reminds them that for years Israel has awaited the Messiah and that he was standing right in front of them. We see it all throughout the Old Testament from the beginning of time. The prophecies of the coming Messiah, of who Jesus would be, of who the Messiah would be, the Son of God would come to restore the broken relationship between God and man. In Genesis 3, the Messiah would be a seed or offspring of a woman and would crush the head of Satan. We see in Genesis 12, he would come from the offspring of Abraham and would bless all the nations of the earth. Deuteronomy 18, he would be a prophet like Moses to whom God said we must listen. Micah 5, he would be born of a Bethlehem, he would be born in Bethlehem of Judah. He would be born of a virgin in Isaiah. He would have a throne, a kingdom, a dynasty, a house, starting with the King David that would last forever. We see that in 2 Samuel. He would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He would possess an everlasting kingdom. We see it in Isaiah. He would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. We see that in Zechariah. He would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. We see that in Isaiah as well. He would die among the wicked ones, but be buried with the rich. He would be resurrected from the grave, for God would not allow his holy one to suffer and decay. We see that in Psalms. He is the one whom Israel will one day recognize as the one that they pierced, causing bitter grief. We see that in Zechariah. Every one of these prophecies of the Old Testament were answered in the name of Jesus, in the man of Jesus that was sitting right before them. He's saying, don't you see what you're seeing here? Don't you see what you're witnessing, the blessing that you have received, that kings have died in faith, waiting for the moment to see me, and I'm here right before your eyes. Do not forsake this. Do not take this moment for granted. And that's what I say to you today, Wellspring Church. Do not take the knowledge that you have for granted. Do not take the opportunity that you have of salvation for granted. It comes with a responsibility. Blessed are the eyes that see what you hear and hear what you hear and see what you see. The revelation of God in your heart cannot be taken for granted. That revelation comes with a responsibility, and that responsibility is in two pieces. And it's actually in the next passage that Jason's going to preach on next week, but I'm going to touch on it real quick. One, the first responsibility that we have, you have the cure to the world's greatest sickness. You have the knowledge of the cure of the world's greatest sickness, evil and sin that plagues every single person's life. You know it. You've been taught it. You've received it. You've understood it. You've had a revelation where now you know the truth. Now you know that Jesus is the only way, yet you sit here with the cure, and there are people in your lives that need to know it. That's the mission of Christ, is to tell everybody what happened. Tell everybody what they can have, the freedom that they can receive in Jesus. If you knew the cure to cancer and the person in your bed next to you had it, wouldn't you give it to them? If you knew the cure to, the cure to coronavirus and everybody at your work had it, wouldn't you give it to them? Yet you know the cure to eternal separation from God. You know the cure to eternal damnation. Yet the person in your bed, you won't share it with them. The person at your work, you won't share it with them. You know what this leads to. It's not just an earthly sin. It's an eternal separation from God. You know the cure. You have a responsibility to share it. The second responsibility that comes with that revelation is actually one of our main core values here at Wellspring Church. It's endless growth. And if I was to theologically give you the word, endless growth actually resembles the word um, sanctification. Sanctification is the process 
of growing to be more and more like Jesus. The process of moving sin out of our lives and becoming more like Jesus. Why do we do that? Why is that our responsibility? One, because God revealed himself to us, so then we have to share that. Now God has revealed to us his plan, so now we have to live by that. The two revelations that God shows us requires two responsibilities that we have. You might be the only Bible that somebody reads. You might be the only person that the person at your work comes across that's a Christian. Would they know that you're different? Would they know that you weren't going to do the things that they were doing? Would you know, would they know you by your actions and how you followed Jesus? If God has been revealed to you, shouldn't we make sure that God can be revealed through you? Shouldn't we be able to see the change in you? To say, God, I love you, Jesus, you're mine, and then your life never changes or nothing ever changes about you is not taking the responsibility for the revelation that you've received. You see, the two commandments that follow in the next section, they asked Jesus, Jesus, what are the greatest two commandments? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then he says, and also love your neighbor. Now, I think that the church today preaches a lot about loving your neighbor. You hear it all over America. It's great to love people. It is phenomenal to love people. It is a calling of God to love people. But there's a reason that he said that second. Because love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul is the greatest commandment because it's the hardest thing for us to do. And you might be looking at your computer screen like, what do you mean it's the hardest thing to love God? God loved me. He died for me on the cross. He did everything from me, for me. He freed me. What do you mean it's hard to love God? Well, the process of loving God is sanctification where we consistently deny ourselves and choose to love God instead. It's the most difficult thing to do, to be tempted to do something that your flesh wants to do something or look at something or, or act like something and say, you know what, no, I love God. I need to deny this and act in obedience to his word, act in obedience to what he has called me to do. I think it's so much difficult, more difficult to follow God and love God than to love people because I think when we love people, we can pat ourselves on the back a lot of the time. When I love somebody well and I, and I, and I send them flowers or something, I can say, you know, like, I did that. In my power, I can love people very well. But you don't talk to many people who walk into the church building and say, man, I loved God really well yesterday. I stopped having sex with my girlfriend before marriage. Or I, I, I gave up the porn addiction that I've been struggling with for 20 years. You, you, don't, you don't talk to people who walk into the building and say, you know what, I loved God really well yesterday when, when I didn't smoke pot. It's a lot more difficult to love God because we don't get to pat ourselves on the back all the time about it. We don't get to love ourselves about it. I want to take us back real quick. And I'm going to finish up with this. We're going back to the verse 21. And I think that this is just, this is my favorite part of the text, and I saved it for last. For a purpose, it said, in that same hour, he rejoiced. That's Jesus standing here rejoicing because it had been revealed to them salvation, who God was, who Jesus was, had been revealed to them. And it uses this word, he rejoiced. Now, in the last section that we talked about two weeks ago, it used the word rejoice as well for the disciples, for the 72. They returned, and they were excited. They were rejoicing. And when you study the original Greek of how this was written, the word rejoice in the first section was chero. And chero means to be glad. 
It's like I, when I read churro, I thought a churro because I get really glad when I eat churros. It's like I'm just happy. This is an earthly amount of satisfaction. This is, I'm, I'm glad. I'm a glad person. But the word that it's used here with Jesus, it says he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit, and that's a different word. It's actually pronounced agaleo, which is actually positive exaltation, which means Jesus is sitting here experiencing the joy of the Lord, a heavenly joy. It's something that he can't deny. It's something that with earthly wisdom we couldn't comprehend. He's experiencing this heavenly joy in the Holy Spirit that was from heaven. He's so excited to see that the will of God was being done. You see, joy is actually one of the main attributes of heaven. In Revelation 21, it's talking about us in heaven, and it talks about every single thing that takes away your joy on earth, every, all of it will be wiped away. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He will wipe away death. It will, it will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Heavenly joy eliminates everything that takes away joy, and this is the joy that we can experience, and this is the joy that Jesus was experiencing. I want to point out, why did Jesus feel this joy? Fresh off of this holy exaltation, he goes right to the one who provided this joy from him. He starts praying. He starts praying, and he says, Jesus, he says, God, Father, thank you. Well, what is he thankful for? It says, for such was your gracious will. God, thank you that your plan was done. I'm rejoicing because your plan was fulfilled, not because anything that I wanted was fulfilled. Well, this is Jesus, so it was what he wanted, but it was what God wanted. His will was done. The thing that produced supreme joy for Jesus was the ultimate satisfaction of the Father. Here we close out the story of the 72, and we don't have any results. We don't know how many people got saved. We don't know how many demons were cast out. We don't know how many people got healed. We're here at the end of the story, and all I see is that people are excited. We don't know how many people got saved. What is the result that we're counting here? The only result that we see is that joy was given to those who fulfilled the will of God. Jesus gave them the plan to go on mission for Christ. And he said, you're going to experience failure. And when you do experience failure, he said, dust your feet off and keep on moving. You see, God's measurements of results, God's metrics on how he measures success is much different than yours and mine. God wasn't measuring the results of their actions. He was measuring the resilience of their obedience. He knew that they would fail at some point. He knew that they were incapable of perfection. If you've ever walked into a room of people and tried to preach about Jesus to people who are unbelievers, you know that you almost never get a 100% success rate. God knew that they would fail when they walked into certain towns, yet he was well pleased with what they did. He was much more focused on their obedience. Why? Because your obedience to God always leads to the outcome that God desires. Let me say that again. Your obedience always leads to the outcome that God desires. And while we're at it, the outcome that God desires is always good. Because God and his holiness and righteousness can be no part of anything that isn't good. So God's plan is always good. No matter if it looks like trouble now, no matter if it looks difficult right now, God's plan is always good, which means that if your obedience to God always brings 
If your obedience to God always brings the outcome of God and the outcome of God is always good, then your obedience to God always ends in bringing the goodness of God down to earth. When we follow in obedience to God's word, we're able to experience the goodness of God on this planet. And it doesn't matter when the evil surrounds, it doesn't matter when we experience failure because we have the joy of the Lord in us. We do not rejoice in earthly winds. We do not rejoice in earthly pleasures. We rejoice that our names are written in heaven. It don't mean a thing without the rain. Listen, if you wanna make a personal decision today to follow Jesus, he's been waiting for you, he's been wanting you. It's been 2000 years, 2020 years since Jesus came and died and rose on the grave for you. With Jesus on the cross, he knew your name. With Jesus on the cross, he knew your sin. And he said, this is still worth it to me. I still love you no matter what you've done. I want you. And today, if that message has been revealed to you, if the goodness of God has been revealed to you today, if you've been waiting for some time to make this decision, whether this is your first time, you've been in church your entire life, today is the day that God wants to work on your heart and he wants to say, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So I just wanna give you an opportunity right now that if you wanna make this decision today, just say a prayer like this and there's nothing special about the prayer the prayer is simply surrendering saying i'm willing to live in childlike faith and follow god god everything that you have i want it just say something like this god god i love you god i'm so sorry for the things that i've done and while i'm sorry for the things that i've done god i'm grateful for the thing that you did and continue to do god thank you for opening up my eyes to the truth that is only found in you. Today, God, I wanna start walking with you. And God, now that you've revealed yourself to me, would you continue to reveal your plan for my life and give me the strength to follow? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you made that decision today, there's a party in this room. But like I said last week, we, really, we don't really matter here. There's a party in heaven for you because another child has been returned to the king. We're so grateful for this decision that you made. There's gonna be a, down in the comment section, there's gonna be a link. We wanna send you a Bible pack and we also want one of our elders to be able to reach out to you. So we love you. Thank you for joining us today. We'll see you next week. Thank you for checking out a sermon recorded right here at Wellspring Church in Toms River. If it's your first time connecting with us, we'd love to stay connected with you. So don't forget to like and subscribe to this video. And then down in the description box below, there's ways to give online. There's our social media accounts. We'd love to stay connected with you throughout the week. We love and appreciate you, and we hope you have a fantastic week.